This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we firmly believe that the key to raising happy, healthy, engaged, and aware kids is for us parents to do the same, to focus on our own lives of seeking happiness, seeking health, being engaged in our lives and becoming aware of ourselves as parents and individuals. We believe that the awareness is the foundation of creating a vision of successful parenting for yourself, for your children, and for your grandchildren. Today's show is very poignant. It's about No Mean Girls, the secret to raising strong, confident, and compassionate girls. I'm very pleased to welcome Katie Hurley to the show. Katie is a licensed clinical social worker. She's a child and adolescent psychotherapist, parenting expert, and writer. She's the founder of Girls Can Empowerment Groups for girls ages 5 to 11. Katie is the author of No More Mean Girls, which we're going to be talking a lot about today, The Happy Kid Handbook, and her work can be found in the Washington Post, PBS Parents, the U.S. News, the World Report, and many other places. She practices psychotherapy in the South Bay of Los Angeles and earned her Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and Women's Studies from Boston College and her Master's from the University of Pennsylvania. She's very lucky to split her time between Los Angeles and coastal Connecticut with her husband and two children. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Dan. Tell us. Where did this book come from? You know, 20 years ago, which sounds like forever, when I first got into this business of working with kids and adolescents, I didn't necessarily set out to work with primarily girls. And I do see boys in my practice as well. But what happened was I specialized in learning differences and anxiety disorders. And I found that I had this revolving door of young women coming through to see me. And it started with teenagers where they were having, you know, the some of the behavior that we call typical, some of that 
kind of girl dramatic behavior that we seem to think is some sort of rite of passage, which I'm on a mission to eliminate that thought process. But um, I I would see a lot of the teenagers having these social problems where they were not communicating with each other effectively, where they were arguing over things that didn't need to be argued over. And what happened over time was, as those 20 years have passed, I saw that behavior fall from the teenage years to later middle school to early middle school to now what we're seeing in early elementary school and sometimes even preschool, which is hard to believe, I know. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, I have to do something about it to reach a wider audience and maybe help a few extra parents that aren't just in my little bubble of Los Angeles here. And you certainly have because your book has been spreading. And I think it's a welcome... it's, It's relief to parents who feel they're alone in their house, either trying to put together the pieces of their of their their girls that are struggling and also just worried because they don't know what's going on, but they know something's wrong because they can't get into their kids' social media and their kids aren't talking to them. I mean, this is a big problem these days. It is a big problem. And one thing we know about girls in particular is that they don't come forward to their parents for quite some time. They've sort of they're socialized to learn how to just deal with stuff, you know, just get over it. It's just what happens. This is how girls are. And the messages that they keep getting, you know, you wouldn't think that that message keeps spreading in 2018, but it does. And what happens is they stuff it down and they're afraid to come forward for help because they're afraid that this is just what they're supposed to be doing as girls. And so they hide it to the best of their ability until they start really having anxiety symptoms and really coming unglued. And and speaking of anxiety, which I see a lot as well for similar reasons, is what are the the various results or responses that you see come out of uh, mean girl behavior? Kids who are at the the, the wrong end of it. I, actually, I don't think there's a good, a good end of it, but you know the end that we're talking about. Right. <laughs> yeah, the victim end yeah. of it. Right. I it, the biggest thing I see is anxiety disorders, especially with the younger girls. Um, you know, one of the first symptoms that that girls will start manifesting and really showing to their parents is just these psychosomatic symptoms like frequent headaches and stomach aches and school refusal. And, you know, parents will come to me and say, well, this isn't real. She's making it up. She doesn't really have headaches every day. I took her to the doctor. He said she's fine. She doesn't really have headaches every day. And the truth is that, you know, as you know, when kids are under that much stress and anxiety out in the world, in school for six plus hours a day, and they're sort of stuffing it down and just surviving the day, they really do get headaches and stomach aches and muscle aches. And those things really do hurt physically and emotionally. And so that's that's kind of one of the biggest things we first see is anxiety. And then it can kind of morph into depression if they don't get the help that they need. You know, I'm really interested in you telling the listeners and myself where you would, what you would call mean girl behavior, because I'm finding, you know, fortunately, the concept of bullying has taken front stage and people are really have been for at least a decade or so now really going after what would be calling bullying behaviors. And then there was this little backlash of people saying, hey, there's regular kid behavior and not everything is bullying. Just because someone is mean or they're jockeying for social position, it doesn't mean they're a bully. And what I like about the idea of mean, it's it's not the same kind of label as you're either a bully or you're not a bully. But, you know, it, this is kind of a gray area, I think, for a lot of people. What is mean and what is just normal? Well, that's true. It is a gray area. And one thing that I really talk to parents 
about when I'm out, you know, promoting the book and just doing parent ed nights at schools and things is the idea that we have to stop labeling kids the minute something goes wrong. Because we do that, you know, a child acts in a way that maybe does seem like bullying one time and that child's a bully. And we talk with other parents and we use that word with other parents and our kids overhear it and they take it on and they say, oh, they write that one off. Oh, she's just a bully. Stay away from her. And it mm-hmm. becomes sort of this systemic issue where, you know, kids are allowed to make mistakes. Childhood is largely trial and error. And even the best kids in the world and the straight A students and the perfect athletes and all of that stuff, every single child is capable of making a giant mistake once or twice or three or 10 times, you know? <laughs> so sure, sure. we have to resist that urge to label them. But, you know, what we're seeing with this mean, quote, mean girl behavior is more relational aggression and it flies under the radar and it's it's sneaky. Now, again, when we talk about bullying, the, the big misconception is that every mean behavior is bullying, and that's just not true. But when there's a pattern of mean behavior that's targeting specific people over and over again, that is bullying. That's where we have to look at it as you're targeting this girl over and over again. You're trying to damage her reputation um, you know, you're really hurting her emotionally. Well, then we look at it as bullying versus just a girl who lacks social skills. Because I find a lot of times when kids end up in my office, a lot of this behavior boils down to either low self-esteem or really just insufficient social interaction skills. And we know that kids right now are pretty low on social skills compared to kids 20, 30 years ago. Largely because of uh, technology and social media, which we will talk about shortly, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. And also just lack of playtime and lack of being just kids. You know, kids aren't kids anymore. They're little mini adults. Right. You know, so you said a lot of times it's relational aggression and sneaky. And I think that's, I think obviously you're spot on because, you know, it's one thing to see on uh, social media and to hear uh, very direct language, which could be considered targeting or bullying. But it seems like a lot of this these days is so much more subtle with people being ostracized, people being left out, people being looked at, and then, you know, made a funny face and the group closes and you're left out. I mean, is it getting more and more sophisticated than when we were growing up? It is. And at a younger age. And that's what that's why the trend is alarming, because first and second graders are now capable of deliberately excluding another girl in a very unkind way using, you know, mean looks and using nonverbal cues, which girls just didn't do that years ago. You know, they weren't sophisticated in that way years ago. And, you know, we can talk about the the causes and why this is happening in a minute, but it's really important to take a pause and think about that, that girls are doing things like you know, rolling up little pieces of Kleenex and putting them on the seat of the girl in front of them, in front of her, so that when she sits down and stands back up, she's got Kleenex all over her rear end and the class laughs at her. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're capable of writing love notes to boys on their behalf and sticking them in backpacks and sticking them all over the classroom when no one's looking. So there are things that roll through my office or that people email me about from all over the country that you just you wouldn't think an eight-year-old would do, but they are doing it. Well, right. And then there's this question of how long can we keep our kids innocence, knowing that it seems to go much earlier these days than it used to. 
why you know the difference between well i don't want to talk to them about something that they're they're not thinking people are mean yet versus preparing them so they have coping skills to deal with what is unfortunately now very common well that's just it i mean and i have this conversation with parents all the time and they'll say to me they'll come to my office and they'll say i don't want you to use the word bullying i don't want you to talk about mean girls because i don't think she really gets it yet so you know just kind of talk around it and i i find myself saying to parents over and over again they already know <laughs> they're they're already well aware of what's going on kids know so much more than their parents give them credit for mm-hmm. and so you know giving it a name and talking about what to do and how to get help or how to be a helper for someone else if they're witnessing something going on. You know, a lot of times kids get very anxious because they are bystanders and they don't know how to intervene, but they know that it feels awful, you know, what they're seeing. They don't want it to happen to them, but they also don't want it to happen to their other friend. But they really, they have not been given the skills. They don't know what to do other than tell the teacher. And that doesn't always work. Right. It can bring on more, unfortunately, of the mean girl behavior. Um, So what do you recommend? What are some of the things you recommend parents talk to their kids about and some strategies and coping skills that they can learn? Well, one thing I really talk to parents a lot about is just really focusing on building empathy. And I know people are getting burnt out on hearing about empathy, but we have to keep talking about it because, you know, when we look at the research coming out of Harvard and other various other places, it's pretty alarming how low our kids are on empathy across the board. And that's on us as parents. I mean, that starts at home and, you know, school, schools can do what they can do to try to build empathy and talk through things. But frankly, we know that they're running on empty and they have very packed curriculums. And the last thing on the list tends to be mindfulness and empathy and social emotional skills. So, you know, I always encourage parents to really take time to talk about what it means to care for another human and what it means to help another human and just role playing at home. So if you see three girls leaving out one girl and rolling their eyes and making her feel bad, the thing that you can do is you can go stand next to that girl and say, hey, I'm Katie. Come on, let's get out of here. Let's go play something else today. You know, mm-hmm. you can be a change maker just by coming to the rescue. You don't even have to talk to those girls. You don't have to confront them. Um, you know, for years we've been telling kids the best we had was to tell kids stand up to a bully. You know, make a funny com- comeback, and it's 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 exceptionally difficult to stand up to a bully. It's exceptionally difficult to make a witty comeback when you're being targeted and you're feeling isolated. So, what we do know that works is to encourage kids to be upstanders and to encourage kids to keep their eyes open and kind of watch their surroundings and think about how other kids are doing. And is there anyone at recess who kind of looks like they're left out? Then just wander over and say, hey, we're playing kickball over here. Do you want to join? Um, You know, and those are all things that parents can practice at home. But then also, you know, having a gratitude jar where, you know, families are just writing down on slips of paper why they're grateful for each other. And you just do it all week long, you know, at random intervals. I'm, I'm grateful to daddy because he bought the groceries on his way home from work. So I don't have to factor that into my day. I'm grateful for mm-hmm. Liam because he helped me finish that Lego set that was really hard. You know, write these little things down, have your kids do it. And then, you know, have a family dinner or breakfast or lunch on the weekend and read them out loud. And, you know, parents think that that's an extra thing to do and that it won't make a difference. But I'm telling you, every time I see a family do it, 
the looks on the faces of the children are priceless. They're just, <laughs> it's heartwarming, you know, because we mm -hmm. don't take enough time right now to care for each other's souls and to thank each other and to just be invested in our relationships. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm also imagining the courage that it would take someone to step in against their friend group when they see one or more people in their group being mean to someone else. And how do we prepare them for that? Right. It's, it's really difficult. And I talk to kids about that all the time because that's one of their biggest worries when they sit on my couch is I want to help. I want to intervene, but I'm afraid my whole group will turn on me and then I'll be left out too. Mm -hmm. And so it really becomes a matter of, you know, giving them words, having them practice using I feel statements. So they're not accusing the other girls of, you know, you're being mean and you're leaving that girl out, but I feel like she's all alone and probably she could use some friends right now. Can we just let's invite her to hang out with us, right. you know? Right. Um, right. What tends to happen is that the group stands down and maybe they make a face, but they'll say, fine, you know, and then that at least gets the other girl into the fold and then there's a connection. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important that the words, giving our kids the words or a script to use in difficult situations does help at least ease some of their anxiety about sticking their neck out to do the right thing. Because a, a lot of kids want to do the right thing. Yeah, they do. And it's just, but it's hard to know how, you know, and it's hard to know how to start it. And, and part of it is just practice. The more you practice it, you know, I always, I have two kids and I'm always encouraging my own kids. And I, I'll say to them all the time, you know, you guys know you're, you're your best helpers. So if anything comes up at school and you see somebody looks like they need help, it's your job to check in with either one. And they'll tell me occasionally, you know, oh, Liam had a hard time at recess today because of this and this and this. So I pulled them aside and we started a new game and we played together. And, you know, just encouraging those sibling bonds is a good way to do it. Or if there aren't siblings, then getting, you know, one of the biggest problems we have. And, you know, I had the good fortune of, of being trained by Peter Gray at Boston College. And so I'm a little bit of a fangirl on, of him. But one of the biggest things that he, you know, continually talks about is this fact that kids are not out there just playing anymore. And there's mm -hmm. such a value for all ages of kids and just getting out in the neighborhood or if it's not safe, you know, on your street, then getting to a park where it's safe and then stepping back and letting kids play because this is where they learn how to negotiate. This is where they learn how to solve problems. This is where they learn how to empathize and how to get in there and use compassion to make sure that everybody's happy. Because the one thing that kids know is that if somebody's not happy, the play comes to a crashing halt and it's all over right. and nobody likes that. So they work, you know, they work through the hard stuff together. And our kids of all ages right now are just not getting that input anymore. And that's a shame. Well, and speaking of the input they are getting, um, let's talk about social media and the alarming research that keeps coming out about the amount of time um, 
and the psychological, emotional impact that kids are experiencing from being on lots of social media? It's so overwhelming. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there are a million and one reasons not to be on social media and maybe two to be on it, you know, and mm-hmm. the argument you get from parents is everybody's doing it. And well, you know, the, the younger ones will say nine and 10 year olds, they'll say to me, well, you know, Instagram is safe and musically is safe. And it's like musically is frankly one of the worst of all of them um, because there's just no, the privacy settings are terrible and right. it's really hard to control it. But, you know, beyond that, it's kids are so dialed into technology right now. And there are a lot of things that I love about technology. And, you know, yes, kids do like to text each other and they do like to communicate through technology, but it shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing that to the detriment of being able to have conversations face to face with other humans. And it's on us to sort of take that back and, and say to our kids, great, that's one way to communicate with your friends. But the other way to do it is to get together and hang out and just spend time together and not have phones going off. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing kids younger and younger joining Snap and Instagram and various Mm -hmm. other ones. Some of them come and go pretty quickly, as you know, um, you know, whisper and all these things and we're seeing, yeah, house party. Right. And, you know, then we're seeing them create. And when I talk at schools, I mean, I, I was just at a school in Manhattan beach a week ago, middle school speaking to parents. And I said, how many of you know about slime accounts? And not a single person in a room full of 100 people knew what a slime account was. And Mm -hmm. it's really parents need to know that these things exist. And again, it's not, quote, bad kids who are setting up secondary secret accounts and hiding them under little skins on their phone that make it look like a soccer app or something. But, you know, it's it's any kid because the peer pressure is intense (laughs) to Mm -hmm. belong and to fit in and to be liked and to be evaluated. And it's very, very difficult. I mean, girls in particular are really taking a hit because they these evaluations are so important to them. I didn't get 100 likes, so I have to pull this one down. Why doesn't she like me? Why did she say that about me? Why doesn't this person like me? This person le- never liked my photo and I put it up three days ago. They're, mm. they're fixating on social media and how they're interacting with their friends and wh- how their friends evaluate them and what they think of them. And it's causing anxiety and it's causing self-esteem issues and it's causing you know body image issues. Right. And I'm seeing it right before my eyes with 10, 11, 12-year-old girls every single day in my office. And we have to really take a good hard look at that and say, what are the benefits okay, communicating a little bit, you know, and what are the risks? The risks are many. Right. And I think also educating our kids about when they're posting these pictures, think about all the people who may be part of the group who are going to see they weren't invited, right? I mean, just that might not be neat girl stuff, but it hurts. And uh, yes, and that's that subtle stuff that we were talking about earlier. And a lot of it is intentional, you know, oh, the three of us are together, besties. And Mm -hmm. that fourth girl who's sometimes in the group and sometimes not is really very hurt. I mean, kids, but, you know, as you know, adults are acting badly on social media. And so uh, adults and kids alike have forgotten that there's a human on the other end of that screen. And there's someone who's feeling genuinely left out and hurt when they're not in that mm-hmm. picture or when they're not tagged or when they don't make that best friend list in the profile. 
And, right. you know, another thing girls are doing is they use their profiles to call out their best friends. But when they get into a fight, they delete you out of their profile. Mm-hmm. That's d- destroying girls left and right. But parents right. aren't even aware that they're doing it because, again, it flies under the radar. Totally. Well, and you you nicely segued us into parents when you're talking about what are parents modeling and a core principle, as you know, parent footprint is, you know, being aware of who we are and what we are modeling for our kids and trying to be the person we want our kids to become so they could see it in action. And you write a lot and talk a lot about how we could be should be modeling the the right kind of behavior when it comes to stuff for our kids. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard because we use adults use social media for different reasons than kids do. And part of it is connection and, you know, mom groups like private Facebook groups where moms can just sort of get together and ask questions or vent about things or get help or, you know, what have you. My community has a couple of different groups. You know, one is is all parents. There's another one that's just moms who are supporting each other. There's another one that's moms that are trading old baby stuff they don't need anymore. I mean, these things are good reasons to use social media. And I actually, that's the stuff I tell my kids about. Like, look at this mom swap page here in town. You know, people are giving, passing on their old baby stuff and, and their old teenager stuff down to younger teens. And it's great. It's a, it's a community coming together and then they meet up face to face to exchange things. And great, you make another human connection. So it's important to talk about the good stuff that we do on social media and actually show them how it works. But we also just, we're living in a time where, you know, the 24 hour news cycle comes through our phones in our pockets. So we have to be willing to, if we're going to do it, we have to really talk about it with kids. And we have to talk about, you know, the ups and downs and the goods and the bads. Just this morning, I had written an article for Real Simple about jeweling and, and, you know, somebody left a comment on the Real Simple site that was just, I laughed at it, but, you know, it was not nice. And and I'm Mm -hmm. able to laugh at it because I'm old. But, you know, I said (laughs) to my daughter, look at this, though, this person who doesn't know me and doesn't know my expertise and my education and what I know, took the time to leave this comment, knowing that I would probably see it. And she was like, wow, I can't believe someone would do that. And sometimes it's really empowering to show that stuff. But we also have to be careful. I mean, we are quick to call out companies and brands the minute something breaks, which is yep. really unfair, you know, mm-hmm. things break, ruining, mm-hmm. a, you know, a mom and pop shop over it, or even going after a huge brand isn't really fair. You know, that puts, you could pick up the phone and have the same effect without publicly humiliating the person on the other end of that screen. And, you know, but we're doing that. We're, we're spreading anger. We're taking the time to leave angry comments when someone doesn't agree with our political views. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we spread gossip. We love to spread celebrity gossip in this country that we know isn't true and we spread it anyway. Um, So, you know, these are all things that we have to gut check and watch what we're doing and also point it out to our kids so that they understand what's good and what's not good. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to, I'm torn between two questions here that are in my mind. So I'm okay. I'm going to pick this one. If there is one thing that you can recommend to parents to help their kids be prepared for handling inevitable mean girl stuff, what would that one thing be? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to answer your question this way. The single biggest thing that girls tell me, and I ask every girl who rolls through my office the same question at some point, and the single biggest thing that they say to me is this, I want to spend one-on-one time 
with my mom and I want to spend one-on-one time with my dad when they're not on their phones and they're not bugging me about school and sports and we're just hanging out. And I know that sounds like a really simple thing, but so many young girls don't feel that they have strong relationships with mom or dad because they feel like life is busy and hectic and scattered and they're doing a million things and their parents are distracted and doing a million things and they you know they want to go out for a hamburger with their dad and just talk yeah. and that you know research consistently shows that they will come to us they will come to mom and they will come to dad particularly between the ages of 8 and 12 with their problems if we make ourselves available to them so you know, you can't protect your daughter from everything that goes on in the world. And you you just, you can't, you know, you can't control what happens when she's out of your, you know, orbit. But what you mm-hmm. can do is put in the time to build, strengthen those bonds and build those relationships so that they come to you and you can work through it together and just listen, you know, just be a good listener, be an empathizer and be a helper when it comes to problem solving. We're, we're too quick to fix things. What we need to do is just be together and listen. I love that. Hear that, everybody? It's really simple. We put down our phones. We just spend some simple time with our kids listening. The kind of the way it used to be, a little, a little more. I, it's right. really hard. It's really hard to do it, but it does, it does do so much. Okay. It's time for that parent footprint moment question. All right. You ready for this? I think I'm ready. <laughs> okay, Katie. Here we go. Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. So one thing not everyone knows about me is that I was a very competitive athlete growing up, and I even played on the women's ice hockey team at Boston College. And Oh, I, wow. Yes. So I was so competitive that my dad made up a little song about how competitive I was and he used to sing it to me in a joking way. Um, and I, and that's kind of who I was. But once I graduated and got my graduate degree and went on, I sort of put that version of me behind, you know, I was Mm -hmm. done with that. I didn't have to be so competitive about every little thing anymore. Well, then my son started getting older and he seems to have inherited that lovely gene from me. (laughs) And he's very competitive and he really likes to win. And what I've realized in the last couple of years as he's grown more into this competitive role is that it brought out that part of me that isn't great, actually, as an adult. Um, You know, it's it, it triggers me in a way when we're playing basketball and he's playing so hard on me and I'm playing hard, but trying not to hurt him because I'm taller than him. So I'm <laughs> trying to be cognizant of my size and my strength. And I get triggered by that part of him where he needs to win. And it started to get to a point where I was found myself saying things like, you can't be this competitive all the time because it recess won't be fun. And then I, I had to take a step back and say to myself, I was that person. I was mm-hmm. that competitive at recess with the boys and the girls. I did play competitive sports the, all the way through my early adulthood. And it's it's okay. That's just a part of who he is. And I can let that happen. And I can take a deep breath and say to myself, I don't have to be triggered by it. I don't have to feel like he's never going to have friends because of it. Because I know that I did have friends. You know, right. I managed to, right. to make a lot of friends and grow into a, a decent human being. So. 
for me, that big moment, it was a big aha moment where I finally stepped back and said, I have to just let him go through this because this Mm -hmm. is who he is. And when I was able to do that, I was able to stop worrying about it. <laughs> wow. Good for you because I, I that is such a wonderful uh, story about when our characteristics or our traits are lying dormant and our kids bring them out because of some of these characteristics that they share and remind us of. It's, that's hard. They say it yes. comes back to you and it does, apparently. It does. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that moment. You hear that, everyone out there? We can let our kids grow their way, and we don't always have to stop all the things that we did and prevent them from all of what we see as negative consequences. Sometimes they need to learn on their own, and we also have to look at our own lives and realize, like, hey, we're okay. We're okay the way we are. Yeah. Okay. Katie, thank you so much for talking about this such important uh, topic. No more mean girls. Um, we all want to raise these strong, confident, and compassionate girls. Please tell, I know you're, you're active, you're writing, you're speaking. Tell everyone where they can find uh, what's going on with you. Well, the easiest way to find all the up-to-date information is my website, which is easy to remember. It's practicalkatie.com. But I'm also on Facebook, Katie Hurley LCSW, and Twitter, and you know, mildly on Instagram. Although, I must say, I, I try to keep my own social media diet to a minimum um, as I try to model healthy things for my kids. Wonderful. Thanks so much. And uh, everyone, please do check out her her stuff. And you're also going to like her other book, The Happy Kid Handbook, which has more of her wisdom. Okay, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Please check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Check out our Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is designed to help you become more aware anytime, anywhere at your own pace so you can figure out your own vision of successful parenting for your kids aligned with your values. Always try to be that person you want your child to become. They're always watching. They're always listening. They are emulating us. And always lead with this guiding question which I try to ask myself every day. What footprint do you want to leave?